Section 1 of Rackety Packety House and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eden Ray Hedrick. Rackety Packety House and Other Stories by Francis Hodgson Burnett. Rackety Packety House, Part 1. Now this is the story about the doll family I liked, and the doll family I didn't. When you read it, you are to remember something I am going to tell you. This is it. If you think dolls never do anything you don't see them do, you are very much mistaken. When people are not looking at them, they can do anything they choose. They can dance and sing and play on the piano and have all sorts of fun. But they can only move about and talk when people turn their backs and are not looking. If anyone looks, they just stop. Fairies know this, and of course fairies visit in all the dolls' houses where the dolls are agreeable. They will not associate, though, with dolls who are not nice. They never call or leave their cards at a doll's house where the dolls are proud or bad-tempered. They are very particular. If you are conceited or ill-tempered yourself, you will never know a fairy as long as you live. Queen Crosspatch. Rackety Packety House Rackety Packety House was in a corner of Cynthia's nursery, and it was not in the best corner either. It was in the corner behind the door, and that was not at all a fashionable neighborhood. Rackety Packety House had been pushed there to be out of the way when Tidy Castle was brought in on Cynthia's birthday. As soon as she saw Tidy Castle, Cynthia did not care for Rackety Packety House, and indeed was quite ashamed of it. She thought the corner behind the door quite good enough for such a shabby old doll's house, when there was the beautiful big new one built like a castle, and furnished with the most elegant chairs and tables and carpets and curtains and ornaments and pictures and beds and baths and lamps and bookcases, and with a knocker on the front door and a stable with a pony cart in it at the back. The minute she saw it, she called out, "'Oh, what a beautiful doll castle! What shall we do with that untidy old rackety-packety house now? It is too shabby and old-fashioned to stand near it!' In fact, that was the way in which the old doll's house got its name. It had always been called the doll's house before, but after that it was pushed into the unfashionable neighborhood behind the door, and ever afterwards, when it was spoken of at all, it was just called Rackety-Packety House, and nothing else. Of course, Tidy Castle was grand, and Tidy Castle was new and had all the modern improvements in it, and Rackety-Packety House was as old-fashioned as it could be. It had belonged to Cynthia's grandmamma, and had been made in the days when Queen Victoria was a little girl, and then there was no electricity, even in princesses' dollhouses. Cynthia's grandmamma had kept it very neat, because she had been a good housekeeper even when she was seven years old. But Cynthia was not a good housekeeper, and she did not recover the furniture when it got dingy, or repaper the walls, or mend the carpets and bedclothes, and she never thought of such a thing as making new clothes for the doll family. So, of course, their early Victorian frocks and capes and bonnets grew in time to be too shabby for words. You see, when Queen Victoria was a little girl, dolls wore queer frocks and long pantalettes, and boy dolls wore funny frilled trousers and coats which would almost make you laugh to look at. But the Rackety-Packety House family had known better days. I and my fairies had known them when they were quite new, and had been a birthday present, just as Tidy Castle was when Cynthia turned eight years old and there was as much fuss about them when their house arrived as Cynthia made when she saw Tidy Castle. Cynthia's grandmamma had danced about and clapped her hands with delight, and she had scrambled down upon her knees, and taken the dolls out one by one and thought their clothes beautiful, and she had given each of them a grand name. 
This one shall be Amelia, she said, and this one is Charlotte, and this one is Victoria Leopoldina, and this one is Aurelia Matilda, and this one shall be Leontine, and this one Clotilda, and these boys shall be Augustus, and Rowland, and Vincent, and Charles Edward Stuart. For a long time they led a very gay and fashionable life. They had parties and balls, and were presented at court, and went to royal christenings and weddings, and were married themselves, and had families, and scarlet fever, and whooping cough, and funerals, and every luxury. But that was long, long ago, and now all was changed. Their house had grown shabbier and shabbier, and their clothes had grown simply awful, and Aurelia Matilda and Victoria Lipoldina had been broken into bits and thrown into the dustbin, and Leontine, who had really been the beauty of the family, had been dragged out on the hearth rug one night, and had nearly all her paint licked off and a leg chewed up by a Newfoundland puppy, so that she was a sight to behold. As for the boys, Rowland and Vincent had quite disappeared, and Charlotte and Amelia always believed they had run away to seek their fortunes because things were in such a state at home. So the only ones left were Clotilda and Amelia and Charlotte and poor Leontine and Augustus and Charles Edward Stuart. Even they had their names changed. After Leontine had her paint licked off so that her head had white bald spots on it and she had scarcely any features, a boy cousin of Cynthia's had put a bright red spot on each cheek and painted her turned-up nose and round saucer-blue eyes and a comical mouth. He and Cynthia had called her Ridiculous instead of Leontine, and she had been called that ever since. All the dolls were jointed Dutch dolls, so it was easy to paint any kind of features on them and stick out their arms and legs in any way you liked, and Leontine did look funny after Cynthia's cousin had finished. She certainly was not a beauty, but her turned-up nose and her round eyes and funny mouth always seemed to be laughing, so she really was the most good-natured-looking creature you ever saw. Charlotte and Amelia, Cynthia called Meg and Peg, and Clotilda she called Kilmanskeg, and Augustus she called Gustavus, and Charles Edward Stuart was nothing but Peter Piper. So that was the end of their grand names. The truth was, they went through all sorts of things, and if they had not been such a jolly lot of dolls, they might have all had fits and appendicitis and died of grief. But not a bit of it. If you will believe it, they got fun out of everything. They used to just scream with laughter over the new names, and they laughed so much over them that they got quite fond of them. When Meg's pink silk flounces were torn, she pinned them up and didn't mind in the least. And when Peg's lace mantilla was played with by a kitten and brought back to her in rags and tatters, she just put a few stitches in it and put it on again. And when Peter Piper lost almost the whole leg of one of his trousers, he just laughed and said it made it easier for him to kick about and turn somersaults, and he wished the other leg would tear off too. You never saw a family have such fun. They could make up stories and pretend things and invent games out of nothing. And my fairies were so fond of them that I couldn't keep them away from the doll's house. They would go and have fun with Meg and Peg and Gilman's Keg and Gustavus and Peter Piper, even when I had work for them to do in Fairyland. But there I was so fond of that shabby, disrespectable family myself that I never would scold much about them, and often I went to see them. That is how I know so much about them. They were so fond of each other and so good-natured and always in such spirits that everybody who knew them was fond of them. And it was really only Cynthia who didn't know them and thought them only a lot of old, disreputable-looking Dutch dolls. And Dutch dolls were really quite out of fashion. The truth was that Cynthia was not a particularly nice little girl and did not care much for anything unless it was quite new. But the kitten who had torn the lace mantilla got to know the family and simply loved them all, and the Newfoundland puppy was so sorry about Leontine's paint and her left leg that he could never do enough to make it up. He wanted to marry Leontine as soon as he grew old enough to wear a collar, but Leontine said she would never desert her family, because now that she wasn't the beauty any more, she became the useful one and did all the kitchen work and sat up and made poultices and beef tea when any of the rest were ill.
and the Newfoundland puppy saw she was right, for the whole family simply adored Ridiculous, and could not possibly have done without her. Meg and Peg and Kilmanskeg could have married any minute if they had liked. There were two cock-sparrows and a gentleman mouse who proposed to them over and over again. They all three said they did not want fashionable wives, but cheerful dispositions and a happy home. But Meg and Peg were like Ridiculous, and could not bear to leave their families, besides not wanting to live in nests and hatch eggs, and Kilmanskeg said she would die of a broken heart if she couldn't be with Ridiculous, and Ridiculous did not like cheese and crumbs and mousy things, so they could never live together in a mouse hole. But neither the gentleman mouse nor the sparrows were offended, because the news was broken to them so sweetly, and they went on visiting just as before. Everything was as shabby and disrespectable and as gay and as happy as it could be, until Tidy Castle was brought into the nursery, and then the whole family had rather a fright. It happened in this way. When the doll's house was lifted by the nurse and carried into the corner behind the door, of course it was rather an exciting and shaky thing for Meg and Peg and Kilmanskeg and Gustavus and Peter Piper. Ridiculous was out shopping. The furniture tumbled about, and everybody had to hold on to anything they could catch hold of. As it was, Kilmanskeg slid under a table, and Peter Piper sat down in the coal box. But notwithstanding all this, they did not lose their tempers, and when the nurse sat down their house on the floor with a bump, they all got up and began to laugh. Then they ran and peeped out of the windows, and then they ran back and laughed again. Well, said Peter Piper, we have been called Meg and Peg and Kilmanskeg and Gustavus and Peter Piper instead of our grand names, and now we live in a place called Rackety Packety House. Who cares? Let's join hands and have a dance. And they joined hands and danced round and round and kicked up their heels, and their rags and tatters flew about them, and they laughed until they fell down, one on top of the other. It was just at this minute that Ridiculous came back. The nurse had found her under a chair and stuck her in through a window. She sat on the drawing-room sofa, which had holes in its covering, and the stuffing coming out, and her one whole leg stuck out straight in front of her, and her bonnet and shawl were on one side, and her basket was on her left arm, full of things she had got cheap at market. She was out of breath, and rather pale, through being lifted up and swished through the air so suddenly, but her saucer eyes and her funny mouth looked as cheerful as ever. "'Good gracious! If you knew what I had just heard!' she said. They all scrambled up and called out together, "'Hello, what is it?' "'The nurse said the most awful thing,' she answered them. "'When Cynthia asked what we should do with Rackety-Packety House, she said, "'Oh, I'll put it behind the door for the present, "'and then it shall be carried downstairs and burned. "'It's too disgraceful to keep in any decent nursery.' "'Oh!' cried Peter Piper. "'Oh!' said Gustavus. "'Oh, oh, oh!' said Meg and Peg and Kilmanskeg. "'Will they burn our dear old shabby house? "'Do you think they will?' "'And actual tears began to run down their cheeks.' Peter Piper sat down on the floor all at once, with his hands stuffed in his pockets. "'I don't care how shabby it is,' he said. "'It's a jolly nice old place, and it's the only house we've ever had.' "'I don't want to have any other,' said Meg. Gustavus leaned against the wall, with his hands stuffed in his pockets. "'I wouldn't move if I was made King of England,' he said. "'Buckingham Palace wouldn't be half as nice.' "'We've had such fun here,' said Peg.' and Kilmanskeg shook her head from side to side and wiped her eyes on her ragged pocket-handkerchief. There is no knowing what would have happened to them if Peter Piper hadn't cheered up, as he always did. "'I say,' he said, "'do you hear that noise?' They all listened and heard a rumbling. Peter Piper ran to the window and looked out and then ran back again, grinning. "'It's the nurse rolling up the armchair before the house to hide it, so that it won't disgrace the castle. Hooray! Hooray! If they don't see us, they will forget all about us, and we shall not be burned up at all. Our nice old rackety-packety house will be left alone, and we can enjoy ourselves more than ever, because we shan't be bothered with Cynthia. Hello! Let's all join hands and have a dance.' 
So they all joined hands and danced round in a ring again, and they were so relieved that they laughed and laughed until they all tumbled down in a heap, just as they had done before, and rolled about giggling and squealing. It certainly seemed as if they were quite safe, for some time at least. The big easy chair hid them, and both the nurse and Cynthia seemed to forget that there was such a thing as a rackety-packety house in the neighborhood. Cynthia was so delighted with Tidy Castle that she played with nothing else for days and days. And instead of being jealous of their grand neighbors, the rackety-packety house people began to get all sorts of fun out of watching them from their own windows. Several of their windows were broken, and some had rags and paper stuffed inside the broken panes. But Meg and Peg and Peter Piper would go and peep out of one, and Gustabus and Kilmanskeg would peep out of the other, and Ridiculous could hardly get her dishes washed and her potatoes pared because she could see the castle kitchen from her scullery window. It was so exciting! The castle dolls were grand beyond words, and they were all lords and ladies. These were their names. There was Lady Gwendolen Vere de Vere. She was haughty and had dark eyes and hair, and carried her head thrown back and her nose in the air. There was Lady Muriel Vere de Vere, and she was cold and lovely and indifferent, and looked down the bridge of her delicate nose. And there was Lady Doris, who had fluffy golden hair and laughed mockingly at everyone. And there was Lord Hubert and Lord Rupert and Lord Francis, who were all handsome enough to make you feel as if you could faint. And there was their mother, the Duchess of Tidyshire. And, of course, there were all sorts of maids and footmen and cooks and scullery maids and even gardeners. "'We never thought of living to see such grand society,' said Peter Piper to his brother and sisters. "'It's quite a kind of blessing.' "'It's almost like being grand ourselves, just to be able to watch them,' said Meg and Peg and Kilmanskeg, squeezing together and flattening their noses against the attic windows. They could see bits of the sumptuous white and gold drawing-room with the Duchess sitting near the fire, her golden glasses upon her nose, and Lady Gwendolen playing haughtily upon the harp, and Lady Muriel coldly listening to her. Lady Doris was having her golden hair dressed by her maid in her bedroom, and Lord Hubert was reading the newspaper with a high-bred air, while Lord Francis was writing letters to noblemen of his acquaintance, and Lord Rupert was, in an aristocratic manner, glancing over his love-letters from ladies of title. End of Part 1